you would, turn in your Bibles with me to Psalm 23 for our Old Testament reading. Hear now the word of the Lord. This is a psalm of David. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his namesake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. And turn to Romans chapter 8. We're going to pick up in verse 18, and I'm going to read through verse 25 for this part of our service. Romans chapter 8, this is the Apostle Paul. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to decay and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now, and not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. Let me pray for us. Father, as we come to your word this morning to stop and to consider these things we've just read, I pray that you would be with us. Lord, I pray that you would show us who you are in your word, but also, Lord, that it wouldn't just become clear to us, but it would become real. And Lord, that you would feed us and encourage us through, um, through this passage this morning. Lord, we ask this in Christ's name. Amen. Well, this morning, I want to talk to us about hope. Hope is one of the chief characteristics of God's people. It's one of the legs of the Pauline triad, faith, hope, and love, that we know so well. Christians love these words, and no matter where you go, at least in this country, you will find faith, hope, and love either decorating people's homes or tattooed on their arms, but you will find these words, faith, hope, and love. They are our chief characteristics. So this morning, I want to talk about hope, and you would imagine that a sermon on hope would be a lot of fun to write, but it's not. And the reason for that is that you can't talk about hope, at least not biblical hope, without talking about pain and suffering and sin and sadness. Because hope is always looking forward to something that you don't have yet. And yet hope is vital for our lives. Not only Christians know this, and in his analysis of American history, Andrew Delbanca writes this, We must imagine some end of life that transcends our only tiny allotments of days and hours 
if we are to keep at bay the dim back of the mind uh, suspicion that we are adrift in an absurd world. We need hope. Hope directs us. It's a compass for us that helps us guide through the difficulties of life. That's why if we lose hope, we say things like, I just feel directionless. I don't know what to do. I feel adrift. I'm lost. I'm in the dark. Hope directs us. It also protects us. It is a strong foundation that enables us to be able to weather life's storms. So it directs us, it strengthens us, but it also fuels us. It drives us. You hear people say when they lose hope that they feel empty. They lack motivation. Everything feels pointless. And so without hope, the pain and the suffering, our own struggles with sin, and the stress of life leads us to despair. And so the question that we have this morning we want to ask is, what gives Christians hope? If we are to be a people of hope, and this is one of our chief characteristics of who we are, what gives us hope? What do we have that directs us and strengthens us and fuels us in our life? Well, there's two things that we're going to see from this passage. The first is God's promise. What gives us hope? God's promise. The second thing is God's presence. Now, before we unpack this, I want to give a quick caveat and then pray for us. And the caveat I'm going to call the broken ankle caveat. Uh, We all know the general advice that you hear on the news or you hear from maybe your doctor that it's a good idea to exercise for 30 minutes a day, right? That's kind of general information. It's good for your joints. It's good for your heart. It's good for everything. Unless you have a broken ankle, right? If you've got a broken ankle and you go to the gym and do 30 minutes of jumping jacks or deadlifts, you're going to do some damage to that ankle, right? You need to go to the doctor to get it healed first, then go to the gym, And I'm aware that when it comes to hope, there's some people in this room right now that you feel like you have a broken ankle. You feel like you are in the depth of despair. Maybe you've had suicidal thoughts or ideation, or maybe you're experiencing some sort of abuse or trauma, or you are reliving some sort of abuse or trauma that you've experienced in your life, and you feel hopeless, and you feel adrift, and to begin even talking about hope feels hopeless. And so if you're in this camp, I want to say two things. One is that you're not alone. This is a church, and we want to be here for you. We want to know what's going on in your lives, and we don't want you to hide that. So without any sort of shame or embarrassment, talk to somebody in this congregation that you trust. If you don't know anybody, if you're new, come talk to me. We would love to be with you and what you're going through. And the second thing I want to say is that this sermon is still for you. No, it's not two easy steps out of depression or through this dark night of the soul. But I want you to know that you're not hopeless. And that God wants you to know that He has hope for you. Because we all need to learn where do we hook our hope? What is the thing that directs us and strengthens us and fuels us in life? So let me pray, and then we will jump in. Lord, uh, we ask one last time that you would guide us in your word. Lord, you are so good to us. You want us to know you want us to be a people of hope. And Lord, often hope is something that we rarely think about, we rarely feel. Often the, the, um, the hardships of life, the stress of life, the anxiety, the pain, the fears of life, these are the things that we often dwell on. And we would say we're not a hopeful people, we are scared people and anxious people. And so I pray this morning, God, through Romans 8 and through Psalm 23, that you would begin to give us hope. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. 
All right, so what gives Christians hope? The first thing we said was God's promise. Right, this picture of what's coming, this picture of what life will be. Hope, by definition, is concerned with the future, right? Nobody hopes for something they already have. Paul just said this. Nobody here in Corvallis is wringing your hands and hoping that we will get a Chipotle, right? Because we already have a Chipotle. We can go and get tacos on Monroe Avenue whenever we want. But in my opinion, I'm new here to Corvallis, and I feel like we can only hope that one day we will get a Chick-fil-A within driving distance. That's my hope. Hope is always concerned with a better view of the future. And so what do you hope for? Right? If, if you were to order up a tall glass of hope, what would you expect me to pour you? Man, a lot of us, we have different things, right? Some of you may be thinking, I'd love to be out of debt. Or maybe you just order up a vacation right now. Perhaps it's the ability to sleep through the night. Maybe it's victory over some sin that kind of, it just feels like it's there and you, and you think you get victory over it and then there it comes back again. Or maybe you would, you would ask for a friend. You feel lonely. Or maybe a wife or a husband or a better relationship with your spouse. It could be happiness for your children to know that your children are going to be okay tomorrow or 10 years from now. It could be healing for your mo- mother's cancer. A job you don't hate. There's a lot of different things that we might order up to get to give us hope. By default, we always look for hope in this world. We, we think that it's right around the corner. If we just had this thing or that thing, everything would be good. And God's Word replies to us, you can't find what you're looking for here. The world as it presently is cannot give us the real, lasting, strengthening, directing hope that we need. Now, why not? Well, you know this. It's because the world is broken. The world is not the way that it's supposed to be. And we saw this in Romans 8. I want to read for us again verses 20 and 21. Paul writes, For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in the hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. Now, that's a dense sentence. I only only want to pull out two things from it. I just want us to see how does it describe our present world. Uh, It describes it two ways. The first is that it is subjected to futility. Right? That means that nothing really lasts. Life is kind of like a sandcastle. Right? We build it up and we think things are going to go right, and then the tide of life comes in and it knocks our sandcastle down, and we have to go build it again. Right? Nothing seems to last. Nothing seems to deliver what we want it to deliver. It's futile. Marriage, no marriage is without conflict, as good as it is. Regardless of what we eat or how many hours we log on the treadmill, our bodies will one day fail us. And this is the worst part, is that we can work hard and we can do everything right, and we will still experience suffering. We will still experience pain and sorrow. The world is subjected to futility. Things are not as progressive as we want them to be. And that is frustrating. The second way that Paul describes our world is not just that it is subjected to futility, but it's also in bondage to decay. I mean, just picture a tree that is trying to grow up and have life and strength, and yet uh, a weed, some sort of vine, grows over it and begins to pull it back down. 
all things are enslaved to this process of death. And we know this things, things wear out, right? Our clothes wears out, our, our clothes, our cars, maybe our houses, our roofs, but also our bodies wear out. All things do. Even our, our best relationships are cut short. People move away. People pass away. And this is not the way that it was supposed to be. The curse that God promised Adam and Eve back in the garden as a consequence for our rebellion has come true. You will surely die dying. And we feel it, don't we? That suffering and death and pain and sorrow, they are all intruders and they are mixed in with the beauty of God's good creation. So we have good things in our life, but we also have these bad things. And it's subjected to futility, and it's in bondage to decay. Which means that if you hook your hope in a world that is subjected to futility, or in bondage to decay, we are inviting despair and anxiety in our, into our lives. So if we can't find this ultimate hope that we need to direct us and to strengthen us and to fuel us here, in this world, where do we go? Can we find a type of hope that can face anything? Well, 8.18 gives us the key to unlock this mystery. Paul writes this, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time, right, the world's full of suffering, the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing to the glory that is to be revealed to us. You see, the Christian hope is God's promise of this future glorious reality. It's something that is coming. It's on the way. Now, we, we get some good stuff now. We have the first fruits, as Paul calls it. But what we're waiting for is the harvest. We're waiting for the harvest. Now, let me show you what this looks like. Verse 23. Not only the creation, but we ourselves. He's talking about Christians. Those who have just the first fruits of the Spirit, the very beginning we groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies, this future reality. For in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope for who hopes for what he sees, but if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. Here's where God wants us to ultimately hook our hope. He wants us to hook our hope in the end of futility. In the end of bondage to decay, our hope is nothing less than the full undoing of the curse. Our hope is the full redemption of our bodies. Our hope is in a world, is that our world and our hearts and our relationships and our bodies are all made right, that everything is restored, a world where there is no suffering and pain and sorrow and sin, a world where everything is made right. It is this full picture of salvation. And this is ultimately what Christ is about. This is the salvation that we are waiting for. So our grand salvation, our hope, is nothing less than what we see in Jesus and his resurrection. I want to show you a quote. It's in your bulletins. This is from uh, Mike Williams' book, Far as the Curse is Found. He writes this, Jesus is the beginning of the end of the ages. In Jesus, we get a good idea of what God is up to. We see it best in Jesus' bodily resurrection from the dead. God's unstoppable goal is nothing less than the restoration of his good creation, the eradication not of it, but of the sin that has damaged it. 
even the triumph of the body over death itself. We cannot write the story of the future intervening years, meaning we don't know what's going to happen to us tomorrow. We don't know what's going to happen to us next week or five years or ten years from now. But, he says, we don't have to. We have a view of the end that we need to give us hope for each day. Jesus risen from the dead. That is what our hope is. Our hope is the promise that as Jesus goes, so will we. That we too will experience resurrection. That our world will experience resurrection. That he will make all things life right and good and full of life. And so what we see is that without Jesus, we have no lasting hope. We might find things that can be, give us hope for today or next week. But ultimately, in a world that is subjected to futility, those things will go away. But what we have is Jesus, a living hope that the best is yet to come and that the harvest is on the way. That as good as today is, it is just the first fruits of what is coming. Now you may be thinking, I don't know how this actually gives me hope for today. I want to show you in 1 Peter. Uh, 1 Peter chapter 1, he is writing to people who because of their connection to Jesus, because of their faith in Jesus, they are now... um, refugees. They have lost their home. And here's what, he, here's what he says to them to give them hope. This is chapter 1, verses 3 through 5. He writes to these people, and he says, "'Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope. How? Through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead.'" And listen to this future-oriented language. "'To an inheritance.'" that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. This is our hope, the full restoration of all things that Jesus has promised and that we see in Jesus' resurrection. Now, how does this future hope give us, keep us from despair today? If you're here this morning and you are a Christian, Uh, There's a new identity I want you to think about in regards to your life, how you think about who you are and how you think about what life will offer you. And it's an identity that Christians have embraced for thousands of years, and it's this. You are a pilgrim. A pilgrim is somebody who is traveling through, who's not in their home right now, but they are heading that way to their home. You're a pilgrim. So what does this look like? How does this help you to face the despair and the struggle and the stress of today, even the sins of the day, and not lose hope. Well, I, wanna, um, I want us to think about the songs that Christians sings, sing. You can see language of this hope in the midst of despair throughout every century in the church and also throughout every culture. As Christians have sang themselves forward, sang themselves through suffering, sang themselves through despair because of the hope of what's coming, the hope of judgment, the hope of forgiveness, and the hope of restoration. I want to read uh, a quote from a guy named Howard Thurman. Howard Thurman is an African-American scholar, and he is looking at how our African-American brothers and sisters in Christ sang themselves forward. Here's what he writes about them. He says that the Christian hope of judgment, justice, justice, and resurrection, I quote, taught a people how to ride high in life, to look squarely in the face of those facts that argue most dramatically against all hope, and to use those 
facts as raw material out of which they fashioned a hope that their environment with all of its cruelty could not crush. And this enabled them to reject annihilation and to affirm a terrible right to live. End quote. Right? We see a people who suffered and yet had hope. And we today, we need to learn from these fathers and mothers in the faith how to sing ourselves forward because of the promise of God. Because we too are pilgrims. Christians from every age and every culture are pilgrims. This world is not our home, and so we groan and we long and we wait patiently for the promise of God to be fulfilled. You can hear this language in a more contemporary song with Sandra McCracken's fantastic song, God's Highway. She writes, I see the shore from troubled seas. And a good metaphor for life. Sure, calm, everything you want, but life feels like troubled seas. She writes, this tiny ship that carries me, it is not yet, but it will be. So heaven come, it's you we need. Fear not, keep on, watch and pray. Walk in the light of God's highway. So this is our hope. Our hope is not something today. Our hope is this in reality, this resurrection, this full picture of salvation. Now, thankfully, God doesn't just give us his promise. He also gives us his presence. He doesn't make us journey alone. The journey from where we're at now to where we're going, this future glorious reality I've just been talking about, from the first fruits to the harvest, well, it's going to be marked um, by a world full of subjected to futility and bondage to decay. Which means there's going to be a lot of good things that happen in your life, and there's going to be a lot of bad things that happen. Things are going to happen to us that we have no control over and things that we would not have chosen for ourselves, and yet we can still have hope. Paul lists some of these in verse 35. Tribulation, pain, distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, danger, sword. We might can uh, update those for ourselves. We could flesh the the list out and say pandemic, maybe job loss, a cancer diagnosis, an accident, a miscarriage, loneliness, violence and oppression, breakups and divorces, depression and anxiety. I'm not saying that the sky is falling, but it's clear that the road from where we're at to the road to where we're going, it is marked with signs of danger, heartache, and headache ahead because we live in a world subjected to fertility and bondage to decay. So how do we walk in hope, through all the junk that life will throw our way with this hope of like, okay, well, one day it's going to be better when Jesus comes back. Well, the beauty is, is that God doesn't just give us his promise. He gives us his presence. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit get on the road with us as we journey. And there is peace and there is power in the presence of another. I mean, this is Old Testament. This is why we all love Psalm 23. The money verse is the one that says, Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why? Because you're with me. God is with us. So how does the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, how are they with us? We're going to run through the last part of Romans chapter 8. I know you may be getting tired, but think through this. Because I want you, as you're dealing with the suffering and the pain, the sorrow and the sins of life, to know how the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit are with you and what they think about what's going on in your life. 
Let's start with the Spirit. This is verse 26 and 27. Paul writes, Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit Himself intercedes with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. Did you know that the Holy Spirit prays for you? Not when you're strong, not when everything's going well, but it says when you're weak. When you're down, when you're feeling like the, the, the weight of this world is pushing you down and you are weak, you are struggling with hope, you're struggling with sin, it says that the Holy Spirit intercedes for you. He prays for you with groans too deep for words. The Holy Spirit is on the road with you. He knows what's going on with your, in your life. He gets it and He groans and He prays for you. Well, what about the Father? He is with us too. This is verse uh, 28 and 29. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to His purpose. For those whom He foreknew, He also predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son, in order that He might be the firstborn among many brothers. On this road, it says that God is working all things together for good. And we have to remember here that, that, that good means... Conform to the image of His Son. Good means prepared for the new heavens and the new earth. God somehow, outside of how we know, it's mysterious to us, He takes the things that we experience in life and He uses them for our good, for our holiness. And we want to object to this, that there's no way that this isn't right, that God couldn't use pain and suffering for our good. We need to remember uh, the Friday before Easter Sunday. We've been talking about the resurrection, but we can't talk about the resurrection without talking about Good Friday. Now, what happened on Good Friday? What do we remember? Well, we, we remember the worst suffering that the world has ever known, where the Son of God bore the wrath of God for our sins in our place. Now, why in the world would we call that good? Well, we call it good because it is the thing that turned the world around. It is the event that happened that leads us to this new and glorious end. Right? We are not adrift in some absurd world where we're just kind of bouncing around and have no control. God is with us and God is working in our lives all the things that are going on for our good and for our holiness to prepare us for new heavens and new earth. Let's keep going. In verse 31 he says, What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who, cannot be, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? I think one of the most common things that we experience, or at least we feel when we're going through pain or suffering, or we're feeling the depth of sin and the struggle that we're in, is often, okay, if I was going through this, if, I, if, um, if God really loved me, if God was really for me, I wouldn't be experiencing any of this, Right? But what Paul is telling us is that suffering is not a sign of God's displeasure or God's absence. Saying here, God is for you. Now, God is the chief investor in your hope and the chief architect. For God to love the world, he gave his son. And Paul is saying, look, if he gave us Jesus, why would he withhold anything else from us? And let's move on to Jesus. Because he's on the road with us too. Hold tight because Paul really lets roll here. In verse 34 he says, Who is to condemn? 
Christ Jesus, the one who died, more than that, the one who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? Verse 37, no. In all of these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. And just look at all the things that Jesus has done for you, for his child. He has suffered for you. He came for you. He died for you. He rose for you. And like the Holy Spirit, Jesus prays for you. And Paul says that he loves us, he loves you, with an impenetrable, unstoppable, irrevocable love. Which means, come what may, today, tomorrow, the next day, losing Jesus' steadfast love is not an option. He is on the road with you, and he is not getting off the road. He's not going anywhere. And so while we groan and we long and we wait patiently today, we need to remember that God is with us and that God is at work in us today. Sandra McCracken's song that I mentioned earlier, God's Highway, it begins with this hope. She says, my feet are strong, my eyes are clear. I cannot see the way from here. And she looks at her life and she's like, I have no idea what is coming or how this is for my good or what comes next. But on we go. He knows the way, and in his arms he keeps me safe. Fear not, keep on, watch and pray, walk in the light of God's highway. Friends, this is our hope. God's promises and God's presence. And he calls us to hook our hope here and nowhere else. If you're here this morning and you're not a Christian, you're not yet a believer then consider this hope that Jesus offers in his gospel. It's not a hope that everything will be all right and that everything is going to go your way and it's going to be easy. But it is a hope that he is going to work all things to your good. It is a hope that he is going to be with you on the road right now. And seeing that, seeing his rich mercy, seeing his rich grace, I pray that it would draw you in to know more about this God who loves and who gives. And if you're here and you are a follower of Jesus, then remember your identity as a pilgrim, as somebody who is passing through, as somebody who is longing for a world that, uh, that is to come. Enjoy the first fruits now. Enjoy all that Christ has given you, but look forward and wait in eager excitement for the harvest that is coming. Because this is a hope that can face anything, a hope that will direct you, a hope that will strengthen you, and that will fuel you through life. Let me pray. Lord, we come to you this morning thinking about hope. And Lord, often, Lord, we, we want to lose hope because we look at all the struggle. We look at all the pain. We look at all of the, um, the challenges. And we think, how in the world? How can we get what we want? How can we find righteousness? How can we find health? How can we find wholeness in this world? And you have called us to say, no, it's not here. It will one day be. But for now, you've given us the first fruits and you call us to wait and to long for the harvest. 
And so, Lord, we pray that you would help us to get our eyes, to train ourselves to do just that. But also, Lord, in the meantime, would you help us to know that you're with us, that you are at work, that you haven't left us or abandoned us, that you are with us today. And when we are weak, the Spirit prays for us. And God the Father, you are all in. You have given us your Son, so why would you withhold anything from us? And Jesus, you have promised never to leave us or forsake us, and that nothing could separate us from your love. So Lord, help us this morning to have hope. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.